Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. I will make this short and sweet. Thanks to the people of New Iberia, Louisiana. Fantastic partners to us. Great product. Uh, couldn't ask more for them. And I make this as truncated as it is because, Bud, I am proud to welcome you back. Uh, fresh, original voice, Bud Elliott and everything. Uh, gave me a bit of a scare. I do want to tell people that that is what Bud sounded like. Now, maybe it was magnified in a little bit, but I talked to him off mic and uh, I didn't want to make a big deal of it or scare him or anything. Uh, but uh, Bud, let's hear from you, uh, the, the new man that you are. Uh, glad to be back. Yeah, that, that was uh, that was weird, man. I, I I thought for sure that like my mic settings had been jacked up or something or that maybe in the conversion from MP3 to Wave that it you know, had been messed up. But uh Maybe that was why my wife was encouraging me to go to the doctor, right? If I if I sounded like that in real life, maybe it was some combination of both. I, I did sound a little bit like Bane. Uh, shout out to my neighbor, Sean, who uh, saw me uh, power washing my driveway today. And he said, hey, a great shirt. I said, oh, I appreciate you, your listener. And said hello. And uh, he's like, man, you sound so much better than you did in the last episode. And yeah, so I'm very happy to be back and, and happy to uh, do uh, part one of a uh, two-part Q&A because our, our Patreon page, it's patreon.com slash Nolcast, is just loaded up, man. Yeah, great questions. Uh, we've, we've found questions from uh, social and email as well. Look forward to get to getting through these. Uh, but yeah, great to great to <laughs> hear your voice resume what it is, and uh, we'll, we'll jump into these. The first question comes from Tommy, uh, but I'll let you take the majority of this as this is your wheelhouse uh, wishes for us to cover the subject matter that is Chad Masco's decommitment. Yeah, so for those who are not familiar, right, Chad Masco is a class of 2022 uh, quarterback who had committed to Florida State under the Willie Taggart era, and uh, he subsequently decommitted. Uh, Masco did see his rating fall from uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the country uh, in our latest 24-7 ratings uh, down to uh, three-star 88 rating status, and that's mainly because he just didn't play uh, as much. And you know, I, I think just generally here, it's not that big of a loss. Um, Masco is a player. If he does end up, you know, if he does end up being really good, Florida State can probably get back in on him if if they wanted to do so. But just in general, with these super early ratings, like when you're rating kids based on just their true, you know, they're not true freshmen, but just their, you know, just their freshman season, there's not a lot to go off, and so you're going to see some pretty huge swings in a lot of those ratings. And, and I would just caution people, hey, like. Yeah, it's cool. You get you got one of the top quarterbacks in the nation, but those are our best guesses at the time. But there's a reason that you only generally see one ranking of freshmen uh, in, until they have sophomore film, and then you get two, and then you know you get a bunch of them as they progress into their their junior and senior year. So ultimately, not that really that big of a deal, uh, in in my opinion. Uh, the second one, and it's uh, it's similar in the fact that it it deals with a. Uh you know, non-class of uh, of 2021, Austin writes, I think it's promising that Florida State evaluated Travis Hunter before he was rated the number one corner by 247. Hopefully we can scout out the relatively unknown names with high ceiling potential until the product on the field uh, leads to the elite kids being interested. With that being said, do you think Hunter will become too huge of a prospect too quickly and open it up for others? You know, I was actually speaking with, uh, with the coach over there the other day and, uh, and, Obviously, I was like, hey, nice job scouting that kid out, right? Before everybody knew perhaps just how good he was, or at least before before he got the rating of the number one cornerback prospect in the entire country. So clearly a big time win for Coach Norvell's staff. Now they have uh, like 18 months until this kid's going to sign 
a letter of intent. So perhaps the battle is not not done yet. But the, the word I got back was that this kid is just one of those type of kids that really just loves Florida State. Like he's a legitimate fan. And if you're a Florida State fan out there, that, that's that's got to be music to your ears, man, to hear that Travis Hunter really likes Florida State and really jives with this coaching staff. So I, I don't think that he'll become a, a too big of a prospect and open up too early for others. I mean, I can't say that it won't happen, but at this point, I wouldn't project it to happen. Uh, now, if Florida State goes and puts out, you know, two bad seasons in a row or something during his junior and senior year of high school, certainly then I, I would not expect him to sign. But if Florida State can show some progress and some competency and uh, show him how he want they want to use him, you know, on the field, uh, then I think their chance of keeping him is is quite high. Yeah, uh, I think they've got a good chance at it. I'm I'm not going to be naive to the fact that it certainly does put a target on him, and it puts uh, you know a lot of a lot of Georgia boosters will be asking uh, Kirby Smart and others like, hey, why like why is the number one kid in the country at a position committed to somebody else when he's from Gwinnett County? He's 35 minutes from Athens. He doesn't come from a powerhouse high school program, but he does come from one of the more loaded counties in all the country. Uh, so. He'll certainly be somebody that the uh, you know subject matters out there, and he'll be a target for for everybody. Which is what happens when you're another one ranked uh, at the position, and Florida State will have have a hell of a battle on its hands. But uh, look, if they can hold on to that kid and win a number one rated player out of uh, Metro Atlanta, then uh, that's uh, that's the the get of all gets. So something we'll watch, uh, but certainly encouraging if there's a legit fandom there, and he seems to have taken to the uh, the staff as quickly as he has. If you're playing Noel Cast Bingo at home, that is Georgia County. Uh, go, go ahead and mark off that square. <laughs> oh, man. I just, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm just glad to be podcasting during all this. You know, it just seems like like it's, it's just one of the elements of, of our life that's just some, just some kind of just feeling normal. Yeah, there's a there's a feeling of normal, normalness. And, and uh, you're right. It's great to be able to do this. And if we're able to, uh, you know, give people 45 minutes out there without having to think about, you know, slowing a curve or whatever else, then, then good. And uh, we're really fortunate to be able to do what we do. And it's a great, great observation there. But all right, we will uh, pause here to thank our friends at Madison Social and For the Table Restaurant Group, as we've mentioned in, in very previous podcasts. We just uh, we plead that you find any way possible to support the people who do so much to enhance the experience that is being a Florida State Athletic fan, and uh, whether that's ordering takeaway, uh, whether that's buying a gift card for future use, whether that's ordering merchandise, uh, they're great people. They've been with us since the beginning. They were instrumental in us transforming platforms and really being able to carve out the NOLCAST to make it what it was, and uh, just a call to action. If you can support them in any way possible, uh, it would it would mean an awful lot from from both of us. I, I know they've been touched by NOLCAST fans who have ordered you know gift cards and and t-shirts from, you know, from across the country. Right. And they're not people that are going to use that within the next month, but they, they know Matt. So is going to be back and better than ever. Right. Once all this is over. And, and we believe that too. And helping support them uh, during this time is, is something to do for sure. And uh, we, we strongly recommend it. Christian writes, seems like an obvious topic to cover, but I'm curious about COVID-19 impact on the program. Are players not on campus? Can they still use uh, the more to work out uh, with Coach Storms? How will this time off impact expectations for the season? Will Purdy have a better shot at winning the starting job now? Well, there's a lot of questions here. The financial impact on the program. Can we expect to have a season at all? 
so there's a lot to unpack. And uh, thank you, Christian, for your questions. We'll do our best to get to them. Well, there are a lot of questions here, and there are a lot of really good questions from Christian. So I, I don't want to ignore any of these. Um, I'm just going to take them in order and just jump in where you see fit. So, uh, no, the players are not on campus currently because of spring break. They're also not supposed to come back to campus. You know, Florida State's one of the schools that has gone to online only uh, for the rest of the semester. Additionally, the ACC has canceled athletic activities, and that includes practices and like team weightlifting and stuff for the rest of the spring semester. So, no, they're not using the more to work out with Coach Storms. Now, are there an isolated player or two who might have stuck around, who might still have access to the Moore Center? Perhaps. I mean, I've seen some clips on Instagram and, and Snapchat that suggest that maybe some guys who are local to Tallahassee who have not, you know, who if they return home, they basically just went back to their home in Tallahassee, who may still be able to get in. But there's no organized team workouts going uh, at all right now, which has a lot of, of potentially you know, negative consequences. But at the same time, I don't think there's very many schools out there who are having organized workouts at this point. I mean, I don't know that every school has like a formal, you know, go home policy, but I, I don't know of any league that's still having spring practice, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't know of any team that's still having, you know, organized team activities at this point. If, if you're Coach Storms, you got to be seriously disappointed in this. I mean, clearly, like, there are bigger issues out there from, you know, his work perspective, like, this is that first off season, your real chance to kind of make an impact and and get these guys motivated again and, and yada yada. And it's basically lost now. Like they're not going to have the, the the spring semester with with Coach Storms, and we have no idea if they're going to have a summer semester with Coach Storms, right? Like that all depends on the spread of the virus and when when things will resume. Like Major League Baseball, they're having a lot of problems just trying to even have some of their stuff, not in terms of games, but. In terms of like activities, because you're not supposed to have organized activities with, with more than 50 people present. And now a lot of it's like, don't have more than 10 people present. Yeah. Yeah. The national, the national one is 10. So right. very challenging. I'm pretty sure most of the coaching staff is work from home now too, since they're non-essential uh, government. I think they're allowed to have one person from each like department in the office is what I was told. So I don't know how it's being defined. Like if that's like, one person from coaching, one person from training, one person from, uh, you know, from recruiting or something. I, I need further clarification on that. But I know kind of late last week, I, I think they were kind of told, hey, like, we don't need to have a whole office working here. If you saw what happened at another SEC school, allegedly, as reported by an ex-Texas defensive coordinator, um, I'm not going to spread that because I don't know if it's true or not. But it's just not a great look to have, like, a staff of 30 people all in the office continuing to work for a sporting event thing that's not even being played right now. Yeah, those guys are are at home. How will this time off impact expectations for the season? Yeah, well, we covered this a little bit last episode, but I think it negatively impacts the expectation for the season, unfortunately, uh, for all year one coaches. Norvell's a first-year coach in his new, new gig. I think if you're a first-year coach in a new gig at any of the schools that at which that situation exists, you're not feeling very good, right? I mean, you're trying to put in a new offense, a new defense, and most importantly, a new culture. And right now, you're not able to do any of that. We People can say, hey, like they, they can do it via iPad. Okay, sure, yeah. Like if they're NFL guys, I'd buy that. Realistically, man, these college kids are not, not all used to looking at iPads and learning schemes and digesting it, right? Like a lot of them, 
that there's a difference between pro and college kids. And I'm skeptical how much they can get done, you know, via iPad that, so yeah, like I think you have to lower expectations somewhat if you are a fan of a coach or of a school with their first year coach now. Yeah. The, uh, the, the culture of the iPad is, uh, and what I'm talking about is, is there was a time where, uh, I had somebody on the staff tell me, I think I've mentioned this on the pod before that, uh, in one year when they tracked it, uh, Jameis, Jameis Winston and Jalen Ramsey logged the most hours of any of the two most players on the iPad and that the iPad culture was built into the program at a level um, that we haven't seen in a long time, like a like a lot of things. And I'm not sure that that's uh, I just I don't know that the there's there's a locker room that's really done a whole lot of work on those things. Uh, so the transition over there and, and getting people to really buy into that. Uh, I'm sure will take place, but it's not a, a an existing level. We'll come back to the Purdy part. Uh, interested in your opinion there. The financial impact of the program, I don't think it can be overstated, man. I mean, it's a big damn deal, and we'll figure out how much. But I think it was three weeks ago, six weeks ago, somewhere in that area. I kind of was just rambling on as I tend to do, but I talked about my concerns that Florida State was in the financial problem that it was and the budget deficit that it was, you know, despite the market, the, the rather aggressive bull market that we've had, particularly the last 18 months, uh, that gives a lot of people uh, the liquidity and also the uh, tax desire uh, to make donations. And the fact that the uh, investment world had uh, been in as much of a trajectory, positive trajectory as it has. And uh, obviously, you don't have to sit and watch CNBC all day to realize uh, the, some of the, the financial consequences of both uh, COVID-19 and also, uh, you know, an underlying story that would be one of the biggest stories of the decade that's not getting a whole lot of attention are the uh, oil wars that are going on between uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia right now. So you've had an absolute deterioration of the financial markets, and that's going to have a big deal on the program. It's going to have a big deal on some of these... Uh, you know, major marquee projects that they've undergone, you know, we won't know the ramifications of that, but that's going to impact Florida State. It's going to have impact everybody, but certainly I'm concerned with uh, with how that part of the equation plays out. You know what else can impact? The, the booster tour got canceled. So, like, Mike Norvell in person is a pretty engaging guy, and he's not going to have that chance to make that connection with the fans in person at the various booster stops, right? Like, he's not, there's not going to be an Orlando meeting, a, a Jacksonville meeting, a Tampa you know, Naples, Miami, Lauderdale. I'm, I'm just kind of rambling off city names like like a pro wrestler, right? But like, I mean, they're not going to have those those meetings to make an impact there. And you're not going to have the spring game uh, to, to, you know, kind of showcase your vision and, and maybe get people donating and signing up for season tickets there. We also don't know, um, like, w- what's the season ticket impact of this, of this pandemic going to be? probably not positive if I had to guess, unless people are just so excited that they get to go outside again and, and, you know, get to be around other people again, that they're just, you know, itching to get the games, which I guess is possible. But, uh, you know, ultimately, man, I I think this is a, this is probably a negative financially uh, for the school. And your point about how they're not one of the schools that's necessarily set up to weather that financial storm the best uh, is, is well-made. I will say on the subject of the boosters, you you make a great point. It's really what I would say the booster class it's going to impact, and this is a significant and, and meaningful class. 
but it's the people who kind of give two to $10,000 a year who he's not going to get a chance to get in front of in Orlando, Atlanta, like you talked about. I will say, and I think I've talked about this publicly on the podcast, that Mike Norvell has been exceptionally aggressive in establishing positive relationships with boosters of consequence, I would call them. Um, so that's not something that he would necessarily rely on, but he, um, you know, and every coach does this to an extent, but uh, as far as personal communication, getting in front of people, uh, Mike Norvell, that was one of the first things that he did. And by all accounts, uh, it was nothing but, uh, you know, nothing but but positive interactions and a, a nice, you know, base level of a relationship made. All right, I want to pause and thank Resolution Home Loans with our friend Shannon Young and Chad. Shannon Young's best loan guy in the business. He's treated me well twice now, but both for my home and then also for my refi, uh, which I think seven NOLCAST listeners actually managed to get their refis uh, done and completed already as of, uh, as of like midweek last week. And Shannon said he had about 70 calls from that. Of course, some people didn't make their minds up fast enough and rates jumped a little bit. If you're one of those people, Shannon's told me he's not forgotten about you. Maybe you decided that it wasn't the right time to go with it. Maybe I want to meet the other six of y'all who decided to to, to jump in on it and, and get it done right then. That's the kind of personal service Shannon's going to give you, right? When you call 844-FSU loan or you go to for, go to FSUHomeLoans.com, you're going to get hooked up with the best loan guys in the business. When rates drop again, they'll give you a shout. Right. If you have any kind of loan questions you might have for them, there's a lot of uncertainty in this time right now, especially in the mortgage space. Give them a call. Shannon would be happy to talk with you and they're proud supporters of the Nolcast. Okay, so the remaining questions here. Can we expect to have a season at all? Um, look, I, I'm, I'm operating under the assumption that we are going to have a college football season. I don't know if that's going to start on time. I don't know what that college football season is going to look like. I don't know if it's going to be a season that is played with fans in the stands or not. Like we, there are certain sports right now in Australia. I know like they're doing some of the Aussie rules football over there with no fans in the stands. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah, I've seen a little bit. Some of, of the only sports going on. So I, I really have no idea if, if we're going to have, you know, football th- this fall. Like what happens if, if they don't give the all clear until like Halloween? I mean, do you play a month worth of games? And then if so, like, are we, are we pushing back the college football playoff or like, how, how do you do this? And then what do you, what, what kind of impact does that have on future schedules? Right. I mean, I'm, I should just be taking a piece of paper here and just jotting down ideas. Cause these are cool story ideas that I'm going to investigate, you know, probably in the next, in the coming month. Uh, but I mean, dude, there's a lot of, there are a lot of unknowns here as far as Brock Purdy. Yeah. This, uh, I don't want to say coronavirus helps Brock Purdy because that's, that's not what I mean. But like the the cancellation of spring puts Purdy on a more even footing in Norvell's offense compared to everyone else, uh, compared to the possibility that they did have spring and thus he would be basically a full semester of install behind. So to the extent that like he will be learning the offense for the first time when he steps on campus uh, as Blackman and, and Tate are. So... Yeah, I think that it could give Purdy a leg up compared to the situation Purdy uh, was in. I don't know that necessarily means Purdy's going to be the starter or anything like that. Will's question, very kind of tied to what we were just talking about, is uh, what's the progress status update on the football-only facility? No construction date, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, that's 
Oh boy, concerned for the very concerned for that thing's future. Well, I'll ask. I think I can get pretty good numbers. One of the real kind of cascading factors in in what led to the decision that was made on Willie was the number of pledges that were made, and then the actual you know the actualization rate on those pledges headed in an area where it just became you know almost catastrophic as to funding a program. And I would be fascinated to know. Uh, what's been pledged and what's actually been collected towards the football facility. Uh, Will, I'll do all that I can to give you as accurate a number as possible on that. I'll circle back to you in the next two weeks. So a couple other details. Around like late January, early February, I know they were still trying to figure out what they think should be in the, the facility, like what they should put in there, what they should not. And there were still some ongoing debates as to whether remodeling the more or being a standalone was the best. Although most people I talked to just, you know, shooting the breeze with them, uh, believed that standalone was a, the best and B was also going to happen. And that was of course pre market crash. So, you know, who knows, uh, what is going to happen to the timeline. Uh, Ingram, I can pretty much assure you that this timeline will not speed up on this. Um, unless somebody, I don't know, maybe, maybe like Florida state boosters own a bunch of stock in like zoom telecommunications or something like that. I mean, if so, <laughs> Then, then they might get this thing done by 2021. Zoom, Clorox, and Walmart. That's uh, that's the exposure. And a little bit of Amazon. That's the exposure that you want right now. Did you yeah. see the other uh, thing? So, so like Zoom Technologies is like a defunct company that does not do the Zoom communication client. Uh-huh. And like like, it, like the, the actual company that does it is like ZM something. But a lot of people just bought Zoom. And, and Zoom was, just took a ride. That's yeah. And so like that, like defunct <laughs> stock went nuts and... Yeah, I was laughing. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah. Oh, man. Imagine holding on to that and just all of a sudden, boom. Yep. I told you I should have. I told you I was going to ride this one out. Absolutely. All right. Uh, So, uh, Marat asks, given that Florida State will have a hard time attracting four and five stars for a while, what is the likelihood of the current team training two and three stars to become four and five stars over time? Sort of like Real Madrid versus Ajax. This is a soccer reference. I can already tell. Uh, where one buys stars and the other raises them from their youth program. Well, the Hunter kid we just talked about will be a fascinating, uh, you know, experience and watching how much uh, Florida State can attract a four and five star, and you know, maybe if that's a commitment that sticks, that that gives you a hell of a lot of credibility in in courting those kids uh, in 2021. You know, the Madrid versus Ajax uh, comparison is interesting. Uh, Florida State ultimately has to has to be both. Uh, has to be able to get kids in and develop them and at the same time uh, act like a Real Madrid, which is one of the biggest brands in the sport. And, uh, you know, you may not have all the resources, but you certainly have the the brand name and, and the history with it. So, you know, it's the same formula that we've talked about. You got to get in on some of these kids that are three stars or unknown a little bit earlier. Uh, you've got to be able to evaluate a little bit better. And then the chances that you do have uh, with the fours or fives, uh, you got to create that relationship, stick with them. And uh, again, you know, Jennings is not going to be a five-star prospect. That's something that we said since day one. Uh, but that's still a kid that uh, I think gives you a lot of credibility and gives you a chance to uh, have a better penetration in, in that kind of part of the, the market. I, I agree with him on, on his take about five stars. Four states probably not going to be in it for very many five stars this year, but, but I don't want to sell ourselves short on the four stars. I, that, that's not something that, that should be done Look, good recruiters recruit regardless of circumstance, right? And they make the best of the circumstance. Four state circumstance is not so bad that they should not be able to sign, 
know, a good number of four-star players. Now, are there some four-stars who are already spoken for who they're just not going to be able to get in on? Yeah, absolutely. Are there a lot of five-stars who just have a lot better options in Florida State right now? Yeah, no doubt. But there are enough four-star type kids who A, are already four-stars and some who are probably you know, two and three stars who will later be elevated to four stars as we see them more. Although at this point, I mean, God, like it does hurt us, you know, evaluation wise, not to have these camps and these combines to see what these kids actually run. Florida State should be able to get in a lot of four stars in their class. The five stars will be tough. And they, they do need to kind of show some stuff on the field. And, and I mean, the timing of this whole thing is just not great for Florida State football. I mean, it's not great for anybody, uh, but certainly a, a program that needed to to show some positive steps now has a more uh, challenging task ahead of them without spring ball in order to do, you know, show those steps. Stephen has a really interesting question here. Um, he writes, are there still concerns regarding the APR? I know we've been hamstrung by this last few years, and it was somewhat of a reason our previous coach didn't couldn't process kids out as often as he probably should have because we needed them to graduate to help the APR. Does slash will Coach Norvell be as hesitant to process kids out knowing our issue with the APR. Uh, love the show. Keep up the good work, guys. Uh, thank you much, Stephen. Uh, yeah, it's still a concern. Uh, I do think that that was one of Willie's more positive legacies is the work that was done on the APR. I will say that there were some whispers behind the scenes that maybe that that had slipped a little bit, but I don't know that we've ever seen that uh, show up in, in hard paper. So uh, I think that at this point, that's something that you can you know give, give Coach Taggart a a solid pat on the back for, for what he did. Uh, certainly is going to be part of the process or part of the challenging to process your own roster. Uh, what Steven didn't necessarily talk about exactly here, but something very much tied to it, but is I'm not trying to be crude, but I mean, what, what are the ramifications for these kids who may have needed a spring? And it happens every year. Kids need uh, a good spring to stay in school. And I, it, you know, it's again, it's going to be a wrinkle that we don't know how this really works out. You know, there's some kids on the roster who in confidence people had, had, had expressed some concerns to us about. Uh, did they maybe not have the opportunity to, to change their academic profile in time to, you know, keep eligibility? It's, it's uh, one of the wrinkles that's kind of hard to, hard to forecast at this point. Yeah, that's a major concern. And uh, it's not like the classes aren't there. They're still taking the classes. The problem is they're not getting the same amount of in-person tutoring right. and specialized. I should have clarified that. They don't have all the resources. They don't have all the help that allows a kid to have the solid spring that uh, that they occasionally need to. That's a that's a good clarification. Something I should have better, better done a better job of verbalizing. Now, of course, because they're taking all online classes, I guess in theory, they could receive a whole heck of a lot of help uh, with some of those classes. But I don't actually think that goes on. In practice, I actually think, because I know some people who have taught, you know, like online classes before, and the kids who don't get that kind of help are usually kids who struggle. So, yeah, I, I think that's a worry, man. Like, they, there were some kids that we know were kind of borderline and we're going to have to have a pretty solid spring to get sort of re-eligible. Or, or kids who, like, if we had to play football in, in the spring, they would not be on the team um, or not be on the field. So, yeah, we're going to watch that and see see very closely how that works out. We've got a good gambling question here. I'm going to hand over to you. This is a more your your topic matter. Yeah, so uh, FanDuel, which is uh, one of the U.S. sports books, obviously it used to be like a um, DFS, Daily Fantasy, but they have a, they have a sports book in Jersey and a couple other locations. 
Uh, they dropped some early college football lines, by the way, um, a ton of them, like 160 games uh, lines for. So I don't like the limits on these very much. And I, I think you can app, you could probably bet these on the app in Jersey right now, but like, obviously you can't go into, uh, into the casino in Jersey cause it's closed down. Uh, so you probably can't get a whole lot of money down on these at present. Um, Anyway, Florida State, underdog of three against West Virginia, a dog of one against Boise, a dog of 17 against Clemson, a dog of four and a half against Louisville, dog of seven against Miami, and a dog of 10 and a half to Florida. But they are favored uh, by seven and a half at Syracuse. So uh, I know Brendan Sinone uh, of Knowles 24-7 wrote that up as well and put it on the message board over there. And people were not uh, not really in love with these lines. And I got to tell you, man, like, if Florida State had a spring, I would be jumping all over the Knowles uh, plus three against West Virginia and maybe taking the four and a half at Louisville if they had a spring. But none of these teams are installing new offense and defense that they're playing. Like, I don't like the idea of Florida State has to go play, you know, a Mountaineer team in year two of Neil Brown right off the bat because that team's going to be going to be a lot more ready. They're not having to install their stuff over again. But the thing is, just because you're dogs in six or seven games does not mean that you're expected to go one and six in, in this span of games, right? That That's just not, that's not really how that would work. So people are like, oh, one and six. So you know, they're expecting a six and six season. Not, not necessarily. Although I do think making a bowl without a spring now is uh, certainly not like the highest ceiling accomplishment you could have, but it, it is an accomplishment certainly uh, for this roster. But just an interesting thing there. I This almost implies to me that they have Boise power rated under West Virginia. And so I'm a little bit skeptical of FanDuel's lines. I would just tell people to not ignore these, but don't don't take these to the bank at this point. I, I don't think these have been kind of hammered into place. Also, it's, it's March and we don't have any spring data to go on. We don't even know what's going to happen with all these guys who would probably have transferred, you know, after spring, after spring football. Hey, there's something for you. What happens to all these tra- these kids who were contemplating transferring if they didn't win a starting job out of spring? Well, now there's no spring. A lot of layers to an unknown onion. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And and uh, the whole reason the lines are done that we just talked about is to accomplish exactly what we just talked about is to get that conversation out to have it pick up on podcasts, sports talk radio, or whatever. So. Uh, good to them, but uh, great, if nothing else, for us to be able to have something to look forward to and imagine college football being played and uh, being able to wager money in the uh, pursuit of an enhanced enjoyment, uh, something that can put a smile on all of our faces. Uh, Michael has a question. Michael's question uh, surrounds the new defense coordinator. Fuller's two defenses have shown massive improvement. Memphis went from 87th to 40th. Uh, Marshall went from 40, 41st to 22nd, but he has never had an elite defense. While he looks like a great hire, I'm sure Florida State would gladly take top 25 at this point, being that they were 61st last year. I wonder if the type of scheme and coaching needed to get from bad to top 40 is the same as getting from top 40 to top 10, similar to how some coaches are better change agents and some are better maintainers i'm guess i'm asking whether fuller's type of defense is more like adding <laughs> adding generic hot sauce to a meal which can improve most food uh to edible or like adding louisiana hot sauce and making it elite uh michael appreciate your question i uh didn't see the sponsor uh note till the end there but uh well worked in 
Michael, we appreciate that. So this is an interesting question. I I don't know if I totally agree with comparing this to change agent slash maintainer status though, right? And unless the idea is like you have to be good enough to maintain for long enough in order to reach that status. Uh, One thing that that I'll, I'll point out here, and this is kind of my main response to this, is that we know that defensive recruiting rankings track much more closely with the performance of a defense than offensive recruiting rankings track with the performance of an offense. And the, the obvious deduction there is you can kind of scheme yourself into a good offense, right? Like we see Mike Leach do it. We see a lot of these guys do it. Ingram, who's your favorite defensive guy who schemes his way into a really good defense with no talent? Good luck finding him. Defense is just the raw side of the ball. You either have the pieces or you don't. It's the reason why when you know you you were playing football, defense you kind of felt like was installed within two or three days. It's just it's just the natural easiest part of the game, and it comes down to the X's and O's, Jimmy's and Joe's, much more the latter, uh, because it is just the raw uh, pursuit of an individual. Obviously, there's aspects of it and responsibilities uh, that all eleven players have to buy into, but uh, defense it's it's the parts that matter. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. And my, my thought here is okay. Like, what would what would prevent someone from, you know, taking a taking a defense into the top ten if they had already shown the ability to go from like eighty seventh to fortieth and forty first to twenty second? And so, perhaps Michael's question centers on the idea of like, hey, you can do a lot just by being competent, but but are you special? You know, but that maybe there's something to that. We we actually don't know that yet with uh, with, with Coach Fuller. Um, however, I think defensively, I mean, like we said, it, it really is about the players. The, the converse of this is if you think you have really good defensive players and you've recruited really well on the defensive side of the ball and your defense sucks, then I think you can be much quicker to make judgments, right, about, about the defensive coaching if it's really bad. Um, just as I, I kind of feel like on offense, you know, like you really can, within reason, Coaching can make a huge difference in terms of actual scheming on offense. Um, you, you do see all these off, these offensive whiz kids. So if Fuller has the same amount of, like the same quality of assistance around him and is given that same level level of budget, which I feel like he was given a, you know, a, a better budget now for assistance than, than the last guy was uh, and is able to bring on the analyst that he wants to and they recruit really well. And I don't see any reason they can't have a, a top 10 defense uh, w- when those things are, are together. Will they have a top 10 defense this year? I kind of doubt it, personally. Uh, to me, I, I think it's Georgia number one, whoever you want, and number two, trying to think on down the line here. But it wouldn't shock me if they come out and have like a top 15, top 20 level defense. All right, Ingram, we obviously live in pretty stressful times, and now we're going to pause to thank our friend Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson firm. Travis Johnson is a board-certified family law attorney with over a decade of experience in the field of family law. So whether that's divorce, issues dividing property, questions about alimony. Maybe you just have some questions about family law in general. Pretty stressful situations right now. You might need a family law attorney. You can reach Travis at 850-435-9919. That's 850-435-9919. That's a Tallahassee local number in the panhandle, but Travis has cases throughout the state. Take the number down. You may not need it today. You may need it in the future. 
19. If you have a family law matter, you want to make sure you have an expert. That's Travis Johnson. Samuel uh, writes that uh, Bud talked on the most recent Nolcast of the importance of recognizing what it means for a kid to attend another school's junior day and being willing to evaluate other options. That got me thinking about what the true correlation is between kids that sign and those who attend junior days at their respective school, not just Florida State. It would be tough to draw a conclusion based on the multiple coaching changes at Florida State, but I'm sure the data for attendees at other schools with more program slash coaching consistency is available, and it could provide the answer. Obviously, this is a question which would require a bit of research, and if you answer it, I appreciate any effort applied towards it. Sure. So I I can tell you that schools try to track this, right? There are a lot of issues in terms of like collecting this data because there are so many coaching changes. So the schools that would have the best chance to do this, I I would like to see the numbers for when Jimbo was at Florida State, right? Because he has multiple years of data. He was at one place. I'd like to see like Saban's numbers at Bama. Um, or, or Dabo's at Clemson. I don't have these numbers. I also know, you know, I, I work for the best recruiting organization out there, in my opinion. I don't, I don't think there's really a close second. Even then, it is really hard to track unofficial visits, which is what junior days are. Um, like, you can go into a kid's profile and the complexity of tracking everywhere a kid goes on an unofficial visit. And for these guys who run team sites, who are generally the ones having to input the data, having to take and track like 70 or 80 visitors over a junior day weekend is really difficult. It's also not that profitable, you know, for, from the, for them to have like to put in every single little kid who goes in, in, into the database, right? It, it's, it's like that doesn't help them sell subscriptions or get new readers or enhance their message board in any way. So there's, there's sort of a data collection issue there, which is something that there's, it's an incentive-based problem. Everybody would love to fix. I don't know that it's something that we as a recruiting industry can really tackle uh, without totally changing the model. I do think there's certainly a correlation between the earlier kids visit campus and signing w- with a school, especially if, if there's no change to the coaching staff. I have had guys tell me like, hey, we know that a certain percentage of guys who we bring on official visits sign with us. Now, that's something that that I do think schools track pretty heavily. Now, here's the problem. Oh, that's been something they've been tracking since the 90s. Yeah, early 90s. Like, I, I know Florida State, and uh, for the 93 class, I think they signed something like 93% of the people that they brought in on official visits. Uh, so, that that's figures that at least unofficially have been, been tracked for quite a while. Now, here's something for you. You know that schools are only allowed to bring in so many official visitors per year? I mean, I I know you know that, but like, I don't know if our audience knows that. And so then you have sort of like, you you have a a denominator issue here in which, like, let's say if you're Clemson, you only bring in 25 official visitors and you end up signing 23 of them, right? Well, Clemson could be like, well, hey, you know, and shoot, like 90% of the guys we bring in sign with us. Okay, but like, you didn't use all of your official visits. With other schools, if they used 50 official visits, right, uh, well, mathematically, they're only allowed to sign 25. So they're, they're capped out, like their, their percentage uh, landing would only be 50% max, assuming they got 25 out, out of the 50, because you can only take 25 kids in a class. Samuel, I, I think this is an absolutely awesome question. It's something I thought about a lot, and I really wish we had a better way to tackle it. I don't know, just y- y'all let me know. It Like next time I go to the coaching convention or like the player personnel 
director symposium, which this year I have no idea if it's going to happen because, you know, it's in Nashville and I think it's in like May or June. So you know, who knows if, if it gets canceled, I, I could maybe try to get some anecdotal data out of this, but there's a lot here, man, that like, it, it's, it's hard to control in the sample because of, of all the things that change at a program from year to year, particularly with coaching changes and then just with, with styles in terms of how many kids you're bringing in. Hope, hope that wasn't too rambling. No, man, I think that was really uh, interesting to get your opinion. I also think this probably brings a uh, appropriate ending point for the first uh, of the podcasts that we're doing here. Uh, appreciate everybody listening. Uh, like we said, this is a nice distraction for us. Hopefully you guys find it uh, to be similar. Uh, Bud and I certainly appreciate uh, you staying with us during these uh, uncertain times. And uh, as we said previously, any kind of thought uh, towards our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group is uh, greatly appreciated. And we look forward to bringing part two here to you shortly. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank <laughs> you.